You're listening to the British Baseball Podcast. Hello, baseball family. Matthew here again with another episode of the British Baseball Podcast. And joining me all the way from sunny Spain, I have Mr. Arthur Kendall. Arthur, how are we? I'm very well. How are you, Matthew? Not bad at all. And you were 16 when when you first joined Manchester Baseball Club. I was, yes. I was um, I was my school cricket captain um, when I was 16, and I was looking for something to do um, after that, if you get my drift, when I left school. And I saw in the Stratford and Ernston Journal an article saying that the Stratford Saints were holding their AGM and any new players that wanted to start or learn um, were welcome to go along to the meeting. So I did, and that was where it all started for me, in um, in a club called the Telstar Club, which is no longer there, um, in 1963. This is fantastic because there's uh, some literature out there and there's, there's some websites as well. But for me personally, I don't really know much about British baseball within the 60s. And a lot of people are saying you don't know much about British baseball now, pal. But can you sort of paint a nice picture for uh, the, the baseball scene within your time frame that you played from 63 to when you moved to Spain? The, in 1963, the baseball in the UK was a little bit disjointed. Um, it, it, it seemed to have split into two factions. There was a North and a South. Um, the North um, decided to uh, form the British Baseball Federation, which was based in Hull, and um, set up a national league. Um, this was apart from the leagues that were there on Humberside and on Merseyside. We were in the Mer- Saints were in the Merseyside League, uh, which we the games were played on a Saturday, and when the national league was set up. Um, it was teams from Coventry, Nottingham, Birmingham, Hull, Liverpool, and Stratford. And those games were played on a Sunday, home, home and away, um, throughout the season. Cup games were additional on top of that. There was um, uh, a, a BBF Cup that was played for on a national basis, which the Southern teams did take part in. They didn't want to play in the league basis. Um, I think they were used to having tournaments and playing cup games, um, which is uh, which was okay. But um, the Saints won it in 1966, the cup, BBF Cup. Um, but in 1963, which was the first year of the uh, National League, they were affiliated to the National Baseball Congress, which looks after America, sorry, amateur baseball. And they are based in Wichita in Kansas. Uh, the first year in 1963 in the UK, the Saints won the league. Um, they also won it in 1964 and in 1965. They never won the BBF. Cup. I think that was one year won by Hull Aces and another year by a team from Liverpool and one year from a team from the South. 
um, in 19, having been champions in 1963, we were then given a, an invite to attend the European group stages of the amateur baseball championships in, in Europe, in Rotterdam. Um, this was at the home of um, Sparta, who were a football club and also a huge sports organization. The tournament was sponsored by the Heineken Brewery in Rotterdam. Um, and there is a nice story about that, but we'll come on to that later. Um, the games or the teams we played against were from Germany, Holland, and Belgium. Our first game was against Germany, and we lost that quite heavily. Our second game was against the Dutch team, and we lost that more heavily. And the third game was against the Belgian team, and we lost that by one run. So we were more on the, on the Belgian level than we were on any other level. Do you want me to tell you about the Heineken Brewery? Or yeah, yeah you mentioned that? this in the email. I'm really interested to know about this story, <laughs> the story of Heineken Brewery. Yeah, well, in those days, the, um, there was no funding available. So we all had to pay our own fares to get to these tournaments, etc. Um, and also our accommodation. However, the um, Dutch um, put on food and transport for us to and from the games. The night um, prior to the start of the um, tournament, and, and we were starting out at 11 a.m. in the morning against the German team, the Heineken Brewery in Rotterdam invited all the teams to reception at the brewery in Rotterdam. Um, the Saints all turned up. Uh, the Germans turned up, about five of them turned up and stayed for about 10 minutes. The Dutch team turned up, stayed for a couple of hours and left, and the Belgian team didn't bother. The Saints um, went back to 1964 now, so it was Beatlemania, everything else was in full swing. Um, we got there. Oh, I don't know, probably about eight o'clock in the evening and at, at two o'clock in the morning, they had to throw us out of the brewery. It was basically in, a, in a, a large room and on one side of the wall, there was a huge Heineken beer vat. And on the other side where we were, there was a couple of taps. So you just got up and helped yourself to as much beer as you wanted, which to a bunch of... Um, fellas in the mid-twenties, and I was 16, remember? Um, it, was, it was an open invitation to have a real skinfall, and we did. And the following morning at 9 a.m., you can imagine the scene in the hotel that we were staying. Um, it was, we all looked like death warmed up. And when we got to the stadium, nobody wanted to play, but we played, and... I think the word got round to the Dutch crowd that what, what had happened the night before, and they really got behind us. They so much wanted us to meet the Germans, but they were the Germans were so much better. It was as simple as that. Yeah. Um, 
but we had a fantastic evening, um, all down to the uh, Heineken Brewery. And thank you very much. <laughs> Brilliant. So it, it was a good, good evening, but it didn't stop when they threw us out of the um, brewery. They didn't lay on transport for us to get back to the hotel. And those of, there were, I think there was one guy, the team manager, Wally O'Neill, who's Canadian, um, he didn't drink very much. So he was the only sober one amongst us. He remembered the ad. I get transport. Um, so we decided to walk. Where we were walking to, nobody knew, but there was bars still open. So we were still going in bars at three, four in the morning. And that was where it ended. <laughs> so it's not the best recipe for a game of baseball the following day, I can assure you. You know, I, I don't think much has changed over the years. I, I, I still know there's people that turn up to training now and they like they've been swimming. Yeah, I, well, I don't know about that. But, but when I um, joined the Saints, the first um, season, and the second season and the third season, um, practice was on Tuesday night and Thursday night down at Turn Moss in Stratford yeah, yeah, yeah. from starting at 6pm until it literally went dark. And on some occasions you, could, you couldn't you could see the balls because the balls weren't white, they were black. As you can imagine, we can't afford new balls every game. Um, so they were black and you could hear the scene coming at you more than you could see the ball. Um, and games were on Saturdays and Sundays. So life was pretty full with baseball for, for us all in those days. Um, and we took it we took it pretty seriously. The practice was serious. It was mm. full on. There was no, um, it wasn't done for fun or enjoyment too much, although we did have fun because we were, we liked to be good. We liked to think we were good. Um, we probably weren't compared to the Europeans, but we were good compared to the rest of the teams in the UK. Yeah. So if just looking through some of the stuff on Project Cobb and yeah. the British Baseball website, throughout the 60s, um, when you joined in 63, the, the Hull Aces won that, that championship then. But in 1964, um, it says it's thought that there was no competition yield, uh, yielding a national championship. Do you know what happened around State of Play in 64? I have no idea, but I can assure you we played league games in the National League in 1964 mm. um, for the BBF. And um, for each of the, well, the East, well, Halaces won the BBF Cup. They didn't win the, the league championship. So as a cup. The team that got the... Yeah, the cup is like the FA Cup. It's like winning the FA Cup and saying you're champions of England. Um, that wasn't the case. Uh, the, the BBF Cup was for teams throughout the whole of um, England. I keep saying England because I don't think there's any teams in Scotland or Wales in those days. I may be wrong. Um, but the, it was a cup competition on a national basis. And I think it was basically the winners of the north section played the winners of the southern section. 
And mm. uh, now maybe somewhere along the lines in the annals of the um, paperwork that's still left um, in whatever headquarters there is uh, that exists now, maybe those are the only uh, documents available saying that they won the cup or the championship, and that's why they've gone down as being champions. But they they the actual if you call them the league champions, which we were, and um, we actually got a a badge that you sewn onto your warm-up jacket from the National Baseball Congress in Wichita um, in 19, for 1963, 64, and 65. And in actual fact, in one of the, um, in 1966, if you look at the archives, it says the Saints won the championship. They didn't, they won the BBF Cup that year. The team photograph, the guy standing on the far right, um, the guy, a Canadian called Stan Windross, he's got his warm-up jacket on because he was a team manager. On his left um, breast, are two um, badges. Yeah. That's it. Yep. There are two badges. Um, they were sewn on, and those are from the National Baseball Congress in Wichita, saying champions. The, there is a third one from 65, but I think he's got that one on his arm. I don't think we, we had enough space on the, uh, the warm-up jackets to put them. That's cool. Were you part of the team in 65 that got beat to the uh, Hull Aces? I'm sorry, say that again? Were, were you involved in the game, in that championship game against Hull Aces, against the Hull Aces in 65? Um, in the, the cup game? Um, well, yeah, the, the one that was 4-2 to um, when they got beaten in the, in the final. I think was- uh, oh no, I'm sorry, beg your pardon. All right, no. Um I think that, that was in '66. The the uh, BBF Saints won the BBF Cup. That yes. was in '66. Yeah, you beat, beat Liverpool Aces yeah. in, in '66, 3 yeah. 1. No. Um in April of '66, I emigrated to Canada along with um Three other players from the Saints team um, from the years before. There was uh, Bob, Do- uh, sorry, Pete Dawson, John Collins, and Len Ridgeway, and myself. All during that year, we emigrated to Canada, so we didn't play in that game. That's why we're not on the photograph. Got you. There's one name that, that yeah. keeps popping up when I look at Stratford Saints and Manchester baseball in the sixties, and it's Wally O'Neill. Yeah, did you, did you get a chance to play with Wally? Oh yeah, many many games in, uh, from '63 through to '65, um, and then again when I returned from Canada in '68, he was still playing, and then he he stopped. He stopped playing after that. Uh, Wally was Canadian. Um, he played for Ontario State um, in the. I think it was when he was at university um, in the, I think it was the late 50s or early 60s. He had a job at um, AEI or GDC in Trafford Park. And that's how he, he got to into baseball at Stratford. Wally 
excuse me, Wally O'Neill taught me how to pitch. Um, he was probably, it wasn't his first love. His first love was playing second base. But he could hit, he could run, he could throw, he could catch, he could, you name it, he could do it. Um, he, he really was a fantastic player. I think he's in the BBF Hall of Fame, I think. Um, quite rightly, quite rightly, he deserves to be. Um, he, he, Wally, how can I describe it to you? Wally never lost his, his cool. Um, whenever there was anything, a dispute, he seemed to be the only one that ever had a rule book. And he would walk over to his um, kit bag near the bench, get out the rule book, walk over to the umpire and explain the rules to the umpires. Because the umpires, um, some of them didn't know the rules as well as he did. Um, but we had a lot of fun with Wally. He was, he was excellent. He really was a good, good person. I don't know... Uh, what happened to Wally after after 1968, 69? I don't know. No idea. Sorry, the sound's gone. Oh, I've been I've been trying to look for him online to interview him for the show. <laughs> I just dead end after dead end after dead end. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to interview him. I'd, I it wouldn't. I'd be married um, an English lady called Margaret, a lovely lady. Um, uh, but I, I don't know whether they, they're still in the UK or, or they moved back to Canada. I have no idea. No. No idea. It would be nice to talk to them, but, I mean, Wally would be now, well, I'm 76, so Wally must be well into his 80s. He must be well into his 80s, mid-80s by now. Yeah. I bet he's got some stories to share. I'd yeah. Love, yeah I'd, was, I'd love to chat with him. Yeah, there was another... Um, my first game that I played in for the Saints, I played on first base. And I learned something that, that night, that day, that Saturday afternoon. We played against a team in the Merseyside League from the Mormon Yankees. And there was a grounder hit to, I think it was to shortstop. Um, I ran to first base, put my foot on the base. Um, unfortunately, I put my foot right on top of the base. And the ball was thrown to me. I caught it. And about... A second later, the runner with cleats, and I was wearing like trainers, stood right on top of my foot. Um, on his way back, he said, don't ever leave your foot on the base again, son. And I never did. <laughs> <laughs> Learn the hard way. My foot was blocked after that. Um, interestingly enough, the Mormon Yankees, um, we were drawn against the in the Lancashire Cup game against them. Um, being a cup game, um, we couldn't fit it in at weekends. It had to be played in midweek, which leads me on to another story about a famous cricketer that played for us. Um, the Lancashire Leagues for cricket, um, they also had an equivalent called the Manchester Leagues. And in the Saints programme, I think you've, if you've, have you seen that? Have you seen it? I've had to look through some stuff on the archives of Project Cobb, but I've never actually seen one. Like, oh, I will send you a photograph of this, but I don't know whether you can see it. This is from 1963, but um, the last name in the... Can you see it? No. No. Where's it going? Oh, there we go. Yeah. Right. 
the last, now I can see it, the lineup, there's a, a guy called Ian Glover. Can you see it at all now? I'm looking. No, so I'll take your word for it. Ian Glover. Ian Glover. Here is a picture. It's the last name on the lineup. I don't know if you can see it, but he's there anyway. Ian Glover was an Aussie playing in the Manchester League, uh, semi pro cricket. And I think he bumped into one of our um, club members who played. Uh, well, I'll come on to him in a while. Um, he, I think they bumped into him in a, in a fish and chip shop, of all places. And he heard his accent and he said, you wouldn't play baseball by any chance? He said, I do, back in Australia. And he said, Would you, do you want to play a game? He said, sure, but it'd have to be midweek. Fine, this game came up. He, he signed papers for us, um, but he could only play midweek games, which was okay. However, we didn't play many midweek games. Ian Glover um, came along that evening with another Australian um, semi-pro cricketer who was playing for Ramsbottom in the Lancashire League. Uh, Ian Glover pitched and the other guy played catcher. And the other guy was a guy called Ian Chappell. Do you remember? Do you know that name? I don't know. Oh, okay. Any cricket fan will tell you that Ian Chappell was probably one of the greatest Australian cricket captains there's ever been. Um, and he actually played baseball for Trafford, for Stratford Saints back in 1963 against the Mormon Yankees. We won the game. The Yankees knew that these guys weren't, or Ian Chappell wasn't signed on. They uh, protested the game. We were forced to replay it by the league. Two weeks later, once again midweek, um, we had to play without the Aussies, and we, we beat the we beat the Yankees anyway in the end. However, well, Ian Chappell, um, I have never seen an arm like that. He would be in the catching um, position, which you know, squat down, and he could throw it on a like a line drive to left field without it bouncing. I've never seen an arm like it before or since. It was absolutely incredible. Um, Ian Glover was a fantastic pitcher. Uh, he had a brilliant breaking ball. Fastball was good. What else can I say? They were, they were just good, good, good players. But it, it's something, at the time, they were just semi-pro Australians. Um, they hadn't made it. But I think it was in the 70s that Ian, Ian Chappell really made it as, yeah. as, a, as a, the Australian cricketer captain. Amazing. Um, but that, that was, that's another interesting story from, from the Saints from that era. It, it sounds like you've met some right characters along the way as well. Um, who's some of the best players that you've ever seen play during your time within British baseball? Apart from the Saints, um, there was a guy who played for Hull Aces called Frank Parker. Um, he was, when I was 16, he was like a mountain to me. He was, he was, he was, he was solid muscle. Um, I once uh, played third base and he hit a ball to right field. Our right fielder uh, fielded it, 
threw it in on one bounce. I straddled the base, thinking he was going to slide. I didn't think he think the ball was coming. I caught the ball at the, about a split second before he just smashed into me. He thought I was just obstructing the base. And I, I, I held the ball and I tagged him out. But I wound up about six or seven feet beyond the, beyond the third baseline <laughs> um, in a heap on the floor. Um, he, everybody was up in arms saying, why didn't you slide? He said, I didn't think it was, the ball was coming. I think he was just bluffing. Um, but baseball was played. He reminded me a lot of Ty Cobb. Have you ever seen the film Cobb? Um, where Cobb slides into bases with his, uh, his cleats showing, yeah. um, deliberately trying to injure, you know, the, uh, the infielders. Um, but he reminded me a lot of him, the way he played. He played very, very hard, but very, very fair. He, he was excellent. Um, for the Saints, I'd have to say, Willie O'Neill was probably the best player I've ever seen, um, wherever he played. And the other people, I guess, would be um, the two middle infielders, um, which is second base and shortstop, which is Bob Dawson and Pete Dawson. Um, they were brothers, yes. A couple of years between them. Pete was the elder. Pete played shortstop and Bob played second. They had an uncanny understanding between them. Whether it was because they were brothers, I don't know. Um, but they just, I never saw them make an error um, <clears throat> when they were throwing the ball to each other. Um, they always knew who was going to have the base, who was going to take the throw from the catcher. They, they were just incredible. Um, Bob Dawson um, was the M, both of the MVP in 1963, um, both in the National League, um, which was in the North, and also in the Merseyside League. Uh, he, he was that good. He could hit, he could, he could run, he could throw, he could catch, you name it. He, he really, really was good. Um, in those days, there wasn't a GB um, team. There was an England team. Both Dawson's played. Um, it, they weren't, we ne they never played internationals because no international team ever came to play us in, in, the, in England in those days, and there wasn't the funding for our players to go onto the continent to play. Yeah. So it was always against um, combined American forces teams, um, either um, in the north or the south of the UK. And so they were more like England representative games. They weren't like international games. Um, but they played in a few of those together. They were, they were good. They were really good. Um, those, those are about the best plays I ever saw. Yeah. What, what are some of your favourite on-field memories with these people? What, where, where did you ever go to, apart from, you know, the Heineken Brewery? <laughs> Boy, that's a difficult one. I think we played a game at Radcliffe Cricket Club um, against, uh, I think it was the Liverpool Tigers. Um, in those days, and it was like playing on a bowling green. Um, it, it was a cricket club, and we played on the infield was their um, square, wicket square. So it was pretty flat, mm -hmm. and it, it was it was an incredible 
um, day out for us. We we all we all love that that game. Um, we won. I remember that, but it was a tight game. They always were against the Tigers. They were a tough team. Um, yeah, but that, that was that was exceptional. Um, I, they were probably the, the, some of the best memories I had on, on that ground. Yeah, and baseball's taking you to uh, Atlanta as well, hasn't it? Well, it took me to uh, that was. I think you're jumping ahead a little bit because in, I have to go back to ninety. 1994, yeah. and playing with the Stratford A's, as they then were, we were struggling greatly to some weekends to get nine players to make a team. Um, so much so that we had to get my sons, who were like 14, 13 and 14 sometimes, to come and play um, against men, which is not recommended. But it was either our fourth of the game. However, in, uh, with some of the other um, Stratford A's players, we decided that the only way forward, it, it was pointless trying to recruit um, men in their 20s to come and play baseball. So we decided that we would start right from scratch and go into schools in Stratford um, and surrounding areas and try and recruit enough players to make a junior team and to bring them through with the idea that they would go straight into the men's team when they were old enough. And therefore, we wouldn't have the problem anymore of not having enough players at weekend. So in 1994, we decided to um, put this team together. At the same time, um, I was wanting to become a better coach. I'd, I was still playing, but I'd want to become a better coach. And through some contacts that I had at the Trafford Sports Council, they said to me, there's a, um, a bursary available called the Commander Collins Bursary that was run by the Football Association in London. Why, I don't know, but it was. I got in touch with the, the FA and asked to be put through to that department. And when I told them what I was looking for, um, that I was hopefully looking to go to the States and for a spring training um, session with, with a club, uh, they had never heard anything like it. And they said, oh, well, yeah, but we'll send you the forms, you fill them in and we'll take it from there. So I filled in I filled in the forms. I also got supporting documentation from the schools, Traffic Sports Council, uh, the BBF, um, anybody else that could support me with documentation, I sent it. Lo and behold, I got a bursary of uh, it was around about 400 pounds, if memory serves me right, which paid the airfare to go to the Braves, to Atlanta. At the time, um, the BBF, um, sorry, the Great Britain head coach was a guy called Mike Harold. Yeah. And he, yeah, Mike had contacts um, with a guy called Bill Clark, who was the international um, scout for the Atlanta Braves. And through Mike Harold, um, we were given, or the BBF were given the invite to send coaches to the Atlanta Spring Training um, program um, every year. You, we could send two 
And I was one, managed to go in 95. Um, and I got, uh, well, one of my other um, teammates uh, from the Stratford A's, Steve Hampson, he came with me um, to learn as well. When we got to Atlanta, um, the Braves put us up in a hotel and paid for the food, everything. We stayed for 10 days. Unfortunately, um, while we had a brilliant time and we learned a hell of a lot, we were allowed on the field with the coaches and the players. Unfortunately, it was the year of the players' strike. Oh, so none of, none of the major league players were there. Um, they were what they called replacement players, which were like semi-pro players. They just got them from anywhere. The owners were going to uh, start the um, season with these players. And it was also, but it was good to uh, go along there and just see what happens. And I was amazed that the coaches actually um, walked the players through, third base, the infield. They would roll the ball to them so slowly and get them to walk towards the ball, field it slowly, pick it up and throw it. And I, I said, why do you do that? They said, this is the only way we can teach them. These guys think they know everything. They don't. That's why they make errors. Even major league players make errors. So I learned that day that you're never too old to learn something and you're never too good to learn either. Um, I met Bobby Cox, who was then the um, Braves manager. Uh, he was in the gymnasium working out. Um, um, we went in, we were allowed anywhere we wanted with our little pass. I think I've sent you a photograph of that. Um, we could get anywhere uh, with it. But that was a fantastic 10 days. Um, I'll never forget those 10 days. That, that was brilliant. What was their reaction like when they saw a couple of British fellas coming over to learn baseball coaching? Well, it, fortunately, it wasn't just... Um, it, there were coaches from all over the world. Russia, China, Peru, um, South American countries, more than Peru, um, Australia. In fact... Um, the Australian national team manager was there. He was an American with two Aussie coaches. And I got to know, we got to know them very well. And through them, we got to know the Aussie um, prospects, as they were called, uh, for the Braves who were on the field at the time. Um, and one of them was called Damien Moss, who actually pitched for the Braves for a, a couple of seasons. Um, he was a left-hander. Interestingly enough, um, the day he turned up for spring training, they made him wear, um, it was like a, a, a plasticized overtop that you wore when it was drizzling. And he had to wear that and run everywhere, was allowed no food for five days. He could have water. He was so overweight coming back from Australia um, it was unbelievable, and they, they, they couldn't believe how much weight he'd put on, so they made him run everywhere. By the end of the five days, he'd lost all the weight. Um, they were tough. They were tough coaches. They really were. Yeah, I um, could do when I'm living with me for a bit, so I can shift this timber. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the chippy tea as well, they'd, they'd be, I'd be doing uh, laps. 
that's to make yeah. Adam have me card in this. Right. Um, yeah, but the, the Atlanta Braves is a, a, a learning curve for me. One afternoon, I was stood next to Bill Clark, the international coach, who knew the situation in the uh, in the UK, in Britain, and Mike Harold well. And I said to him, if you, you were me and you were going back to um, the to the UK, what advice would you give to the BBF? And he said to me, in all honesty, he said, I would scrap your men's team, the junior team, and I would get the best 14, 15, and 16-year-olds, 20 of them that you've got, put them in a group, keep them together. If somebody else better came along at 16 or 17, get rid of them and put the other ones in. But keep that group together, stick with them, and take them to all the tournaments that you can and give them all the coaching, give them all the benefit of all the finance that you could get. Um, it was good advice, but unfortunately, it was it was a non-starter because without the GB men's team, there would have been no funding from various sports councils. So it was never going to happen. What I did do when we got back on the plane, I turned to my colleague, um, Steve, and I said, Steve, that's it. I'm not playing anymore. I'm just going to be a coach. And from that moment on, I just coached and I just coached children. Um, I started going into schools, must have been 20 or more schools in and around the Manchester area, coaching children um, of from ages of 13 to 15. Um, those who I thought were good or, good or could be good enough, I invited them along to join our junior team, junior club, the Trafford Saints, which is how the Trafford Saints became came about. But that was my my story from the from the Braves. So many great stories, and like I said, it's a shame that some of the ideas couldn't have been implemented. It's you know who knows what the landscape of British baseball could be like with the national team at the moment who qualified for World Baseball Classics for next year. It's yeah, an amazing achievement, but. You know, it's, uh, it's probably one of them sliding doors moments. So um, coming back to, to Britain then, you were involved with the, the youth coaching. What can you tell us about your time with the GB cadets? That was that was interesting. We used to hold um, the coaching sessions. were done over, I think it was about a week. It was done at a school in Leeds. And it was Ian Smythe and another chap whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, Ian Smythe has written books on baseball, as you as you probably see. Um, Ian uh, played for the Leeds uh, teams in uh, in the I think it was in the seventies and the eighties. Um, he was a good player, but the the coaching sessions were they were children from um, ages of I think it was fourteen through to sixteen uh, from all over. The UK, uh, used to come Scotland, Wales, no matter where. They used to come and stay for a week. Um, we had coaches from the MLB International who came over and helped in those days. Uh, and once again, I learned a hell of a lot from those guys. Um, just just little things of how to improve my technique as, as a coach how to put things across to people. Some things I didn't like, so I, I didn't I didn't pick them up. Other things I thought, 
yeah, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm going to use that, which is what it was all about, which is what our coaching sessions are about. How can I, I'm going to describe the, the times there. We didn't, we never had any um, games against um, foreign teams, but we there were enough teams to have, uh, enough players rather, to have two teams. And on the last day when the parents arrived to collect the children, um, we used to put on a game for them. And they were excellent games. They used to put into practice what they'd been learning from that week. And you could see, really see the difference a week's good coaching had made to a lot of them um, in their attitude, how they um, handle themselves on the field. Um, we used to have a saying, um, I don't know if it's still used today or not, but we used to, it used to be, we used to say, no matter who you were playing, you were playing a game of baseball, and therefore you respect the game. And that's what we used to drill into them, respect the game. It didn't matter whether you were, let's say, the Atlanta Braves playing Trafford Saints. <clears throat> the Atlanta Braves would have respected the game. They would have won easily, but they still respected the game. And that's, that. I think, um, I think there's, I don't know, some of that was missing towards the end of my, my, my time in coaching, I think, from, from some players and some attitudes. I think some of the, I think some of the, some people thought that once they got to that level, they didn't need to know anymore. Um, I never stopped learning the whole of my life. I'm still learning now. Um, you know, I live in Spain, I live on an olive farm. I had to learn about olive trees. So I'm still learning now. But going back to baseball, um, I don't think anybody will ever know enough about the game. I used to say um, to um, Ian Smythe at the time, who was in charge of the GB um, setup, set I used to say to him, he said, how many coaches do you have now at Trafford Saints? And I said, well, I think we've got something like um, 50 to 60 players. If I had 50 to 60 coaches, I still wouldn't have enough. If I had a coach for every player, I would not have enough. You can never have enough. And I still, that's, that's still my attitude today. I don't think there's enough coaches in the game. Mm. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think probably people... Um, get to when you played um, I think sometimes you think that's it I'm done now I've finished I've had enough they just don't want to go into coaching they don't want to pass on their knowledge um, they don't want to or they can't do it um, it's not as easy as it sounds there are a lot of courses out there for coaches and I, I went on every coaching course I could go on run by the Trafford Sports Council, um, the English Sports Council, and, and so on, wherever they, they were. It didn't have to be with baseball. It was about coaches and your attitude and how you, you learn things and you pass those things on and how you did it. But that, that was my philosophy about baseball. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to try and get into coaching because my little boy just started training with Manchester Baseball Club. He's had a really enjoyable first season. He's liked his training. So I thought I want to be able to, because I'm no spring chicken. Um, uh -huh. I'm just trying to stay involved in the game, and it's something we can both do as well together. Um, so what advice then would you give to me? 
as soon as there's looking to try and get into youth coaching? To get into youth coaching? Um, just, just some general advice, that, like some of the best advice that you've been given as well that you feel would be helpful. Okay, the best advice I could probably give you, apart from going to going on any, any courses that you could find for coaches, not on, on coaching, but for coaches, okay? My excuse me. My other advice would be let's take let's take um, batting. If you if you're working off a off a, a tee ball, a tee, tee ball stance, okay, you put it you put the ball on it and you uh, what's the first thing, first thing you're going to say to the kid how to hit the ball? This is how you hold the bat. This is how you hold your feet. This is how you swing. This is and so on. Wrong. The first thing you should do is say to them, okay. Hit the ball. Just give them a bat and just say, hit the ball. And repeat it at least a dozen times. And from those dozen times, you should be able to pick up where you think you can improve them. They may be another Babe Ruth. You don't know. Babe Ruth didn't have the, the classic swing. He didn't have the classic stance. But so not everybody can do that. But that's, that would be my advice to you. Um, if you want to do just do um, batting, there's one thing that's, that's missing at the moment, and it's something involved in back then. Was the Northwest Little League? Yes. What can you tell us about your time with the Little League and what happened to it? The Northwest Little League. When I started um, Trafford Saints in '94, um, we didn't have anything. We had no equipment for children. No bats, no uniforms, nothing. So I contacted Little League in Williamsport. Um, the international director in those days was a guy called Frank Lopuccino. And I talked to him a couple of times and I explained to him what I was doing. And he said, great, um, we have leagues in, throughout Europe, um, Little League. We have a league in the south of England, which they did. Uh, but we don't have one in the north of England. Um, we'd be only too happy to help you. We cannot give you bats, balls, helmets, gloves, etc. But what we have got is um, uniforms. We have more uniforms than we know what we can do with. They're not a full team uniform. They are individual uniforms. Um, so you might get three from one team, two from another, and so on. He said, I can send you some of those if you want. And I said, yes, whatever you can send me. He sent them via the U.S. Embassy in London because it, um, they had a deal with them where they didn't charge them freight. Or there was no, well, they just didn't charge them anything. A guy from the U.S. Embassy um, drove them from London to my house in Salford um, and left them with me um, and then drove back, back again to the U.S. Embassy in London. Um, those uniforms. I have a picture of the of the team in those uniforms. I can't put my hand; it's it's upstairs somewhere. Um, but I, I can, I'll send you a a, a copy of it. Um, it was interesting to see them, but the kids loved it because there was it was a uniform and it had a little league badge on it, and we were affiliated to Little League. We paid our fees, everything. From that. Um, the Northwest Little League, um, which involved teams from Preston, Cartmel, there's a team in Runcorn, 
Stratford and a team in Liverpool. Uh, the team in Liverpool didn't last long. They were run by a teacher and he, could, he just couldn't do it. He didn't have the time. Um, so the other teams uh, continued um, and we formed a little league. And it, in those days, we had children of nine years old against playing against children of 16 years old. So we had to adapt the game um, where it was almost pitch coach to the nine-year-olds and um, 16-year-olds could pitch against 16-year-olds. That kind of ad adaptation, but yeah. it worked. It worked. And from that, um, more children joined us and we then got the... We, had the, we then started the T-ball league, um, which were the same group of teams again. And then in between, we got the, it's called the Bronco um, League. By this time, in 90, I think it was 96, the BBF recognised the leagues, and, but they weren't with Little League. They went with Pony. The Pony Organisation, which is hence the Bronco and uh, I can't remember what the other teams are called, Pony and Bronco and something else. Um, that's where those names came around. However, from those early um, days of me and two other guys going in schools, um, quite big things happened um, in the junior setups throughout the, the UK. More leagues were set up, more teams were set up, and it, it really boomed in the in the nineties for for children. So much so that um, we did a TV program. Um, I, I think it was on. I think it was Channel Five. Um, they, they came to our ground, uh, which was in those days was in National Mersey, and we spent a whole day filming with them on various aspects with the then. GB coach, which is American, called Ralph Rago. Uh, that, that was an experience in itself. But the, the uh, junior teams, um, Trafford Saints um, won the um, Northwest League in, in the first, I think it was four or five years it was, it was going. Um, we, the BBF then set up a national programme um, and we were knocked out um, in, I think it was 90, 97, we were knocked out um, against a team, I can't remember the, the team that knocked us out. They were, oh, Dundee, Dundee, Dundee Dodgers. They actually went on to win the tournament in 90, uh, 97. Uh, we were knocked out by Aberdeen Reds. Obviously from Aberdeen, and in '99 we won it. We won the national championships, um, which were fortunately for us was held um, at our ground in National Mersey. Um, we played um, team from Windsor, um, managed by John Boyd. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know John. Yeah. Um, yeah, John. John uh, came up to our ground with his Windsor team, and we had a we had a great game. Really good game. Um, fantastic. It was really good. And as far as I'm aware, I understand that the Manchester um, junior section is, is still thriving. Maybe you can tell me more about that one. I, I don't know these days. 
yeah yeah still going still still there still thriving like i said little boy's part of it now i've been helping out when i can and it's just great yeah. to see so many kids enjoying the sport and just getting an absolute kick out of it it is it it, it just makes me happy that, that there's there's gonna be legacy in future within within the clubs yeah is it still t-ball upwards yeah 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 good yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, John that's Eaton's uh, the the safe hands that, yeah. that's looking after it, and he's he's doing a fantastic job. Really, yeah. well, John, John came along been. towards towards the back end of um, my time. I, I was like I said, I could never have enough coaches, and uh, one of the coaches is a guy called Chris Woodall, who came along with his son John. Um, I think John went to college in the States in the end, playing football, not, not baseball. Uh, Chris, I think, knew um, John um, from the um, Sale United Football Club. And he uh, he got John interested in it with John's son, James. Um, and that was, uh, I think that was when at the time that I, I, I came to live in Spain. Um, but they they took it on. They took it. They they took it over. I think we were playing in uh, in Wethershaw Park in those days. Yeah, still at Wethershaw Park now. All oh, right. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. So it's it's been well looked after for you. Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm glad. I know John was a very very good coach, um, and he understands children, which which is good. You've, you it's not the same as teaching men. Really isn't really. Children are like sponges; they'll take it in. They really will. Men won't. Men won't. You're very. We're very difficult to coach, unless you want to be coached. Yeah. You know, simple as that. That's okay. Well, yeah. Arthur, unfortunately, we're we're running out of time, so I've just got a couple more questions. I feel like we could sure. talk about this all night. Uh, normally, I ask my my guests like who would make their Mount Rushmore British baseball people, four individuals that mean the world to them within this sport. But for you, I'm going to ask, which four members of the British baseball community that mean the most to you, would you have helping you out in your olive farm in Spain? Um, obviously, Wally O'Neill. Um, uh, I, I learned, <clears throat> excuse me, I learned how to play the game from Wally O'Neill. Um, I would have to say, um, Pete Dawson, who was a shortstop, um, not because he was he, he wasn't as good a player as, as Wally O'Neill. Sorry, Pete, if you ever see this, um, but Pete never lost his cool, but he would always encourage you quietly and silently. Um, not silently, but he would have a very quiet word with you. And just say, don't worry about it. Just get on with it. Nothing you can do about it. You know, it, it's just the way it is. Um, I think another one would be Frank Corns. Um, I don't think I've heard his name. No. Nope. Frank was um, helped set up the Northwest Little League with the Preston Bobcats team. Um, sadly passed away on his way to a junior baseball game. Um, he had a heart attack in the street and passed away. Uh, Frank and I used to talk for many an hour on what we could do, how we could take the game forward with children uh, and so on. He, he was he, he was really, he was, he was a soulmate. He really was. Um, 
Who else? Uh, I think I would have to say um, probably the, the most influential one would be Harold Booth. Um, I don't know whether you've ever come across Harold's name. Harold was one of the founding members um, of the Strephon Saints way back in the early 40s. Um, in fact, there is, there is a, have a, a picture of him. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, yeah. He's the guy in the middle. Hmm. I'm, the, I'm the attractive one on, on the left. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harold was a coach when I first got to uh, Stratford Saints. Um, very hard. Didn't, didn't, didn't suffer fools gladly, as they say. Um, he then became an umpire, and boy, some of the decisions he gave, I didn't, I disagreed with. I didn't like him one bit. Over the years, I got to know him more, and I got to realise um, just how a good man he was. And he helped me no end understand the rules of baseball. Um, he, his favourite catchphrase was. Read the read the rule book. You'll learn how to play baseball just by reading the rule book. And I used to read it section by section. And boy, did I ever learn a lot from that. Harold also umpired every single Trafford Saints game from its inception for the first five or six years. Wow. And never took one penny um, from it, um, from the game. He always wanted to put back in. Uh, but I would say that he probably influenced my life more in baseball than anybody else. Sadly, he's passed away now. Um, sure. Once again, once again, that's the way it goes. But they, they were, was that four? I think that was four. Yeah, those, was four. Those, those four would be uh, you know, the people that I would look up to in baseball. Um, and they've influenced my life tremendously. Great selection, must say. Super choices. Um, so, last one for me before I let you have your final say is: if you had one wish for British baseball, what would it be? One wish: um, put more money into youth baseball. The future is in the youth. Okay, the men's team um, are getting to um, championships now in Europe, etc. But where did they come from? Youth. And it was it all started way back in the 90s. Um, and it's gone on from there. A lot of those players came through. A lot of them have come through. A lot of them were born in, in America. A lot of British parents, I know that. However, if you put more money into youth baseball, concentrate on youth baseball, make it enjoyable for them, coach them right, teach them right, there's a good future in baseball. In Britain. Yeah. I think that's all about it. St. Matthew. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I it's been on a bit, but there we go. No, not at all. It's been amazing. Been superb. I'd, so I'm, I'm going to leave the last word to you, uh, Arthur. The floor's all yours. Anyone you want to give a shout out to? Anything you want to say before we part ways? Um, I've thought about that one. Uh, hello, John Eden, <laughs> if you're still there. Um, um, I don't know any of the old Saints players who are still around. I don't think there'll be too many 
Um, I think I was I was one of the youngest when uh, when the Saints folded. Sadly, in the seventies, they came together again under the auspices of the A's, but the Saints, um, yeah, sadly folded in the seventies. That's why I resurrected the name with with the Trafford Saints. Yeah. If there's any of the coaches and players in the in the US that are watching, thank you for your help. And one other player who signed for the San Francisco Giants for the who was at the Trafford Saints was Eric Stolp. He never once again he didn't get into the majors, but he actually played for Trafford Saints. Um, and he signed for the San Francisco Giants. Amazing. So I suppose you'd uh, give a shout out to Paul as well, your son, for setting up this. this oh, <laughs> I speak to him every day. <laughs> yeah, don't give him a big head or nothing. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Arthur, this has been amazing. Uh, All right. Thank you very much for your time. I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to me. Bye. Good, Good luck to you all. Cheers.